Hello and welcome back to Bombato, the Scandinavian La Liga podcast. And can you believe it, Alexander Jonsson? There's not really that long to go. I think there's 18 days to go, maybe 17 days to go. I can't remember, but La Liga is going to finish this month, which feels insane considering we've been like postponing La Liga finishing for quite some time. It feels like it's finishing so, so quick and so not quick at the same time, because as you said, it's it's a lot lo- longer back in time than it was supposed to be, but it's all going so quick because there's so many games in, at the time. Uh, yeah, it feels exactly. like that pause never existed uh, in a way. Which, as we were discussing just before we came on air, and I'm sure we'll bring it up again, means that uh, momentum right now is so important, right? Because, I mean, when you've got three games in the space of, what, eight days or something like that for a lot of the teams, uh, you, you don't have much time to catch your breath and turn things around. So it feels like now it's going to take a lot of hard work for the, particularly the teams that are in a negative dynamic. Is that a Spanish, kind of Spanglish way of saying things? That the teams that are on a negative run, it's going to be harder for them to turn it around. Yeah, they don't have the, the week they normally would have uh, to to change thing or prepare for the next game, it's you got three days until your next game, more or less. So it's it's hard. Well, speaking of negative, we don't normally start on a negative note, but I know that you're so passionate about this that I think we'll throw it out there. Uh, so l- let's just get it over with. Tell us about your frustration, your major frustration over the last seven days in Spanish football. Yeah, basically, actually t- taken kind of a pause from Spanish football, which means that I only watched one game yesterday. Uh, haven't watched any so far today. Might watch one today. We'll see. But that, that's when I take a pause. And that's a big thing. Uh, no, I'm, I'm really frustrated. And it comes down to, to refereeing. Um, and that's something that I've sworn off in the past that I am not going to be frustrated about anymore when it comes to Spanish football. Because it's it's no news that the, the referee level in Spain is uh, on a quite low level and has always been. Basically, it's, it's not on the level that you expect from a league that is supposed to be the best league in the world. Um, and if you ask fans to any club in this country, they will say that it's a conspiracy against their team. Because all the, the decisions is always against their team. And it doesn't matter what club you're talking about. It's not just Barca and Real Madrid that are on like this. It's every single club in this country. Uh, so there came to a point where I decided, like, the, the problem in Spain is just that the level of these referees are not high enough. Uh, it's not a conspiracy. It's no one who's after a specific club. It's just that they do a lot of really ridiculous mistakes because they're just not good enough. Um, so I came to the conclusion that I'm just going to ignore that because probably in the end it would more or less be equal for everyone in one way or another. Uh, but then uh, the introduction of VAR came. And uh, the, the thing is that before you could always like try to put yourself in the referee situation and argue, well, it goes really quick on the pitch. From his point of view, maybe that looked like a penalty and he did a mistake. And as I said before, these referees are not on a very high level, on not the light level they should be on, so they probably make more mistakes. But what happens now is that you have VAR where the referee can go and see the exact same pictures as we are seeing at home uh, and then take the, the decision. And they're still making it the most ridiculous mistakes, which I don't think is mistakes anymore, because if you see it that clearly... It's not a mistake. Um, and barely, basically what has happened uh, since we came back from the break is that these mistakes have gotten more and more ridiculous or these decisions have gotten more and more ridiculous. And it's both in La Liga and in Segunda because I've been watching both. And I've been seeing so many matches where really vital decisions have been taken that doesn't make sense. 
And when it comes to the referee decisions, we often have a quite heated debate. On social media, there is always a heated debate. In the studios, there is always a heated debate. And these are decisions, and we're not talking one or two or three or four, but like in five or six or even more in just the last couple of days that are so clear cut that there is not even discussions about them because everyone agrees except for the referee. Um, and the, the, I think the main two examples uh, that most people probably have seen is the Huetafe Real Sociedad one and the Mallorca uh, Celta one, where at Huetafe Real Sociedad we had Huguduru coming in really fast and basically doing a tackle, you could say, on the Real Sociedad defender where he stamped on his foot and then lost his balance, fell, got a penalty. Um, and I've heard they, they look at VAR at every penalty, but here it must have gone really quick because there was no pause for the penalty to be taken. Um, and I think anyone who can see that can, can't see that that's a penalty. And then the next day we had the Celta Mallorca where the Mallorca player just falls on his own. Uh, the referee blows for, for, for a penalty. And again, in the heat of the moment, I can understand it. But then he goes and look at VAR for six minutes and see the pictures that we are seeing where it's, I think it's one of the most obvious non-penalties I've ever seen in my life where the player just goes down and still takes this decision. And this is where it's not a mistake anymore. And that's where I, it's just unexplainable and it's happening so often. And the same day was happening a similar situation for Depor that got a penalty against them in the Segunda. And you even see the fans, rival fans, going in and saying, like, what's going on here? Like the ones who normally will always try to push that team down or, or whatever. And the problem is that these are decisions that can lead to some really serious problems because it can take a club being relegated. And if we take in Segunda, a relegation to Segunda B to the third division is going out of professional football. You go down. Yeah. That, that, that can ruin a club. That can make a club go out of business. So it's, it's not just small decision. It's just not about Barcelona, Real Madrid and who's going to win the league title it can have a really huge effect and also for teams to be, be relegated from La Liga. So now it's it's not something I can ignore anymore because this is this is not mistakes anymore, simply. No, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I generally try not to talk too much about these things or, or invest too much in them because ultimately the referees are human beings and human beings are emotional creatures and different, different degrees of input affect them in different ways and at different moments they'll make different decisions. But I think it's undoubtedly it seems pretty clear that since we've returned from the break there's been a high concentration of bad calls let's say maybe one day we'll look back on this and it'll prove to be an exception or something like when when we get back to a more normal situation in football maybe the officiating will become something resembling more normal and i, I have only anecdotal evidence for this i have uh, no scientific study to to base it on but coincidentally or otherwise i've noticed that i've been watching a lot of domestic swedish football right now for obvious reasons because the league's got underway and there's been a lot of really bad decision making there even by swedish football standards which is kind of similar to what we're saying about spanish refereeing like the the, the officiating has been bad even by spanish football standards i don't know if that's a coincidence it'd be cool if some of the listeners who are watching their own like domestic league of choice maybe you guys can send us a tweet at bombathopod and let us know if in the leagues you've been watching if you feel like there's been a, a higher like percentage percentage of mistakes from what you're used to i know that they did a sort of someone has done a fairly deep dive into the bundesliga since it's returned and i think one of the conclusions they got from that is that the absence of pressure on the referee from the fans has definitely affected what kind of decisions they make and how frequently they do it and you know it's often like we think like the the fans are there to kind of put pressure on the refs to do the wrong things in favor of their clubs is often the way we think about it but i do wonder if i was going to play amateur psychologist i might say that what they also do is they keep the referees alert they kind of 
creates a certain pressure around them that means that they know they have to be switched on and making as, as best to their, their ability the best call at any moment and I wonder if when you take that away something happens like a complacency slips in and that you're maybe not quite as vigilant as you, you should be I don't know we'll only really find out once fans are back in a stadium I guess if that's a factor or what the hell else it is that's behind us because it definitely feels like it feels like to me and to you and to plenty of other people that it's been particularly bad. That, that's a really interesting uh, input and point of view to the, to the entire thing, I think. And another thing I, I've been thinking about is that in the end of this, maybe VAR coming to Spanish football is, is a good thing because now it's, it's, it's just spelling the problems out for you so, so clearly that you can't really ignore it. Uh, and hopefully that can, can lead to them actually looking into making better education for, for referees in the country. And one last thing on the subject is that because of all these penalties, I was just feeling it's a penalty in every game. Um, so I did some, some uh, counting to, to look into how many penalties there have been um, since, the, since the, we came back from the break. And uh, on average, it's been a penalty every other game in La Liga. And that's a quite insane fact. It should not be penalties every other game. Um, mm. which it has been. I think that says quite a lot about the, the current situation. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in general, it felt like since we got VAR, there was more more given. I, I, to be honest, I don't have the numbers to tell you whether it is or isn't, but yeah, there, there, there's no doubt. Like, they've been very, very frequent, at least since we came back. But uh, shall we turn to a more positive story? Maybe for me, probably the most positive story in Spanish football since we came back, which is that Villarreal, magical, wonderful Villarreal for who for people of a certain generation are one of those teams that you always kind of look quite fondly on. They're back and they're back with a bang, I think. Now, there's games being played today, so this may change when by the time the pod goes out. But I think they are the, if not the form team, they're the joint form team uh, since we returned from the break. And they don't score ugly goals, apparently, these days. They only score spectacular ones. And I don't know about you, but for me, it's been a joy to, to watch them, actually, because they're a really, really exciting team to watch again. Um, and I'm quite happy for that little humble club that likes to disrupt the sort of hierarchy of Spanish football because we've missed them after a few sort of ropey years, I guess. Yeah, no, it's, uh, as you say, I think the word is positivity because they are the team that spreads the most positivity. They, they are the team that when you watch right now La Liga, that's the team you want to watch if you want to sit smiling or you're watching the games instead of, of sitting and being frustrating screaming at VAR and stuff like I've been doing uh, then then definitely Villarreal is the team to watch and and it's it's interesting because I've been trying to figure out what makes the difference when we, we speculated so much uh, before getting back from this break that what, what clubs are gonna have the best situation and what's gonna be the what makes the difference um, and I've been trying to figure that out with Villarreal why is it them who are just doing so goodly good after this break and why has it done them well better than than other teams and what i came up with is basically that it's the same reason to why it's not working for real sociedad so if you take real sociedad that we have talked about before the, the psychological part that they are a very young team that maybe don't really know how to handle the situation uh, because they haven't been in any similar like any no team has been in this situation before but you can always find other types of situation where you can take uh, similarities from and, and they haven't gone through as much as players in, in other teams have. And their Villarreal is a very good example. And what I've been, been thinking much about is, is injuries. If you've been away from football because of an injury and then you come back, then you have already learned how to deal mentally with being away during this break and how to try to come back to the level you were before and also accepting that you're not going to be as good as before so then it's easier uh, to kind of find your way back and if we take Villarreal 
Uh, obviously, we have Bruno, who, who we have talked about before, who I also think is a big key for them, that, that a motivation for them, seeing him come back, having him in training these days before the league returned when they were back in training, seeing him joining the team again. Yes, that is a huge motivation for everyone in the team. And then seeing him come out on the pitch. But then you also have Santi Casorla, who is out injured for two years. You have Sergio Asenjo, who has had four ACL injuries in his career. So you have these three players, and I think it's probably more who have some, some injuries history as well. But just having these three of players who've come through something so difficult as those things and then come back uh, in the way they have, and especially Asenjo and, and Casorla, the way they have returned to Villarreal, I think that is a key, them sharing their experience with their teammates and just knowing what way uh, to think and to mentally prepare for, for returning after three months without playing any football at all. And I think that might be one of the keys for Villarreal, why they are so successful in, in just finding the rhythm and finding the way to play directly. Uh, while others, I think we've seen in so many teams, and not just Real Sociedad, that have been struggling so much with finding back to the form they were in before the break. Uh, so that's a theory that I have without being an expert and actually knowing, but is that they have that kind of players and having that kind of motivation around the team uh, probably changed the entire dyna- dynamic coming back. That's a really good point. I mean, there's a lot of people with a, a lot of points to prove at that club. Like you've got Paco Alcácer, obviously, who was deemed surplus to requirement at Barca. Uh, you've got Gerard Moreno, who we all knew was an excellent striker from his time at Espanyol, but hadn't quite found his form yet when he when he moved back to Villarreal and now this season he's top Spanish goal scorer in La Liga at present and looks like he's if he continues his current form he, he might be the first person to beat Iago Aspas to the Tharra trophy for the top Spanish goal scorer in La Liga in I think four years I think he's had three in a row Aspas maybe yeah, if, three, I reckon. The, yeah, the if he if Aspas would win it this year he would become the first player ever to win it four years in a row so that's well there you correct. go um, and he's still not, I mean he's not far off he's two goals behind Gerard but th- th- it's going to be an interesting like punch out between those two and I think uh, RDT uh, sorry Raul Garcia at uh, Athletic Club who got a brace in the last round um, but th- there's a bunch of people there who, who really who probably know that it's kind of now or never for for them to like deliver their, their best and to in the case of Santa Cazorla obviously his injury and his recovery is well documented, but his contract runs out at the end of the season as well. So I, I think for him, like the perfect way to, we don't know what he's going to do yet, but I would imagine that the sort of perfect way to wrap up this remarkable recovery would be to get Villarreal back in the Champions League and then maybe play out another season or whatever before he moves on to his next thing in football. I think he's talked about how he knows what he wants to do, but he he hasn't kind of revealed his plans yet, but I think he's hinting towards becoming a sporting director of some kind. But it's just wonderful to watch them because they 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 are genuinely exciting team to look at right now and it's not at all what I would have predicted um, given how things went last year with their managerial merry-go-round that involved sacking Javier Cajaca and then bringing back Javier Cajaca kind of the, the opposite of what you would say would be the right way to run a club but after that bizarre sort of blip they, they seem to be back on course and much more steady again but, you know it's like the polar opposite to the local I was going to say local rivals I always feel it's a bit strong to call Valencia local rivals because I think there's a tendency to play that up but the team down the road who they beat in the the derby if you want to call it that um a few days back now who we're going to talk about next who i mean if you want a textbook example of how not to run a football club then i don't think there's a better one than valencia chaotic cf uh, yeah what i would 
would rename them to if I could. Where do you even start with Valencia? I think is I've kind of I've been thinking mulling this over my brain today because I knew we were going to talk about it. And the conclusion that I've reached is that at least in my lifetime, there's a sort of deceptive thing about Valencia because they went through a couple of really bright periods. Um, whilst I was like old enough to be aware of it, um, you know the period where they ended up in two Champions League finals and won some domestic tr- cups, and then the period where they won the the league twice and won the the UEFA Cup at the time. And that, I think, imprinted an impression on my mind that this is what it's always like at Valencia. But actually, I think the reality is that those sort of positive periods are more kind of spikes in a generally messy situation that tends to follow Valencia around and has done for a long, long time. And the latest one now, like the seventh coaching change of the Peter Lim regime, I believe it is, is just more of the same, really, of what Valencia fans sadly have come to expect sort of every few years from their club. What you, whatever you think of Valencia, whatever you, you think of them as a club, whether you're a supporter of a rival club or whatever, you have to feel for the supporters, I think, because they just get put through the ringer and they're going through this like tumble dryer of emotions all the time. And it really is a challenge to like your, your commitment to supporting a, a club that, especially right now, is run by people who really couldn't care less about you. And in fact... In some instances, like the last couple of days, have openly expressed that they couldn't care less about you. And it's hard not to feel sorry for them, is the impression I get. No, it's completely heartbreaking because, as you say, Valencia has a very rich history. It's a very, very great club historically and, and you want good things for them. But what you're seeing now, it's it's not what you wish on, on your worst enemy Um like it's if if you're going to start to support a club, Valencia is not the club you want to support because it must be, as you say, it must be horrible going through that season after season after season after season. Like like I told you before, uh, we were going to record this episode that just reading up on Valencia or trying to 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 know everything about Valencia is impossible because if you jump down into that rabbit hole, you basically can't go up, come up again because there is so much happening all the time, all the time, all the time. Like what, what you knew about Valencia when this season started is a complete different Valencia than you have now. And that is how it is all the time with this club because it's just going through one mess after another, after another, after another. In a way, the, uh, the sort of half-finished stadium that sits on the other side of the city is like the perfect symbolic expression of what Valencia are, which is like an unfinished project. They're an eternally unfinished project. There's always like, you know, a next step that doesn't quite get taken and then it all pulls back and like, you know, the stadium itself dates back to their sort of last true, true glory period, I guess, when they were winning leagues and they maybe overextended their reach and thought, okay, we need a bigger, a, a more modern stadium at the time so we can bring in more fans. And it proved that that was, well, it was a combination of bad timing, bad planning, bad uh, management from above, that that was not a wise move to make. And then I guess we don't have to retread this ground, but they were they had to pay that back essentially by selling off their best players year after year after year after year. And inevitably it took its toll. And then when, I don't know about you, I actually had probably naively now in hindsight, a little bit of false hope when, when Peter, Lim came in because in the beginning at least he he said all the right things or his people said all the right things that you know they were going to make them financially sound they were going to sort of bring them back to where they deserve to be as if not Spain's fourth club you can maybe debate between Athletic Club and them for that position but they're, they're up there after Barcelona uh, Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid certainly they're, they're in the mixture for the, the biggest club after them in the country you know every time that you think that even under Lim you think that there's going to be something stable and something worthwhile like with Nuno in the beginning it falls apart and then there's just this de- decision making that is completely unfathomable and now I'm thinking also that they, they just got fortunate really uh, with Marcelino 
and with Alemania, it wasn't really great planning on Valencia's behalf as much as luck that they got two really good people, one as a coach and one as a sporting director, who are really, really bloody good at their job. And for a while, at least, they allowed those people to do their job before they intervened and made a massive mess of it again. And now I just don't know how they turn a corner. And I, I, I really have a hard time. It reminds me a little bit of like, well, you know, when you typically see one of these particularly bad owners, Liverpool had it for a while before the, the current owners, the Fenway, uh, the American owners came in. They had uh, a pair of owners there in Hicks and Gillette who are an absolute disaster for them and put them about three levels back from where they should be for a club of their stature. And for me, that's the only solution I can see now. And I don't know who would want to do it because it's such a massive project and probably not particularly profitable. But someone else needs to come in and buy that club and take it back to what it should be or at least begin to, to put it in the place that it deserves to be instead of, you know burning uh, bridge after bridge for them and, and making their life 10 times more difficult. 100%. And I, I saw some positive news for Valencia. If true, is I saw that apparently Peter Lim is looking for a buyer. Um, and if that is true, then as you say, I think that is the, the best thing that can happen to, to Valencia, hopefully, because you never know who the next one will be. Um, but to get a, a new owner in there, because... Uh, but, but just as you say, I was also falsely optimistic when he came in because they really they really needed uh, a restart back then um, and it felt like okay maybe this is is it that can take Valencia back to where Valencia should be um, and then obviously what's happened since then is is just worse than I think any Valencia if I could imagine. Uh, the, 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 the bad season that Valencia have means that as a sort of collateral damage of that we've not really been talking about their their Scandinavian about uh, Daniel Vass as much as I probably thought we would have been talking about him actually this season because if you base it on what happened last year where the sort of last surge at the end where they made the top four uh, and where they won the cup and where he was a, a pretty regular key player for them I had fairly high expectations he was going to have another good year but of course that all fell apart um, we were we were speculating about this a little bit back and forth with one another because you know there's it seems inevitable now that good players are going to leave Valencia now because they're, they're probably going to have realised if they haven't already that, uh, that the likelihood of this ship being steadied anytime soon is, is short and we've already seen that Garay's uh, done with them um, has had enough Vasa's contract runs until 2022 and like from, from what I mean, I don't know him. Maybe some people in Denmark will, will know better than me, but he's kind of suggested that he wants to stay there and see out his contract. But I don't know about you. I'm like, man, ugh, you're in your 30s and this ain't going to get much better in all likelihood. I really think he could do better somewhere else because he's, I mean, he's such a reliable player. He rarely ever puts in a bad performance. Like he's probably the epitome of consistency. He's not always spectacular, but he's reliable. And I think those kind of players are worth their weight in gold for coaches. I'm sure there would be plenty of people at a decent level who would be happy to have him in their, their squad. And then he, he's very versatile as well. He can play in so many positions. Personally, I kind of miss seeing him in the midfield, um, which I, I think, and I'm pretty sure he thinks as well, is his best position where we saw him when he was playing at Salta, where he was uh, was incredible, um, which he hasn't been been playing at uh, in Valencia. But yeah, he's. I think he's uh, the kind of player coaches dream of having because, as you say, he's consistent, but he's so versatile as well. So you can always, which I think is also something that, that sometimes doesn't play in his favor because uh, it makes him never being or often not being the main player for a certain position because you can always throw him in there, in there, in there. Um, and I think he has struggled a bit with that during his career that he hasn't gotten one specific position because he's good in several. 
Yeah, I feel like Celte had much more chance or much more opportunity to be influential. He was given like more importance in the team than he is at Valencia, certainly. Um, I, I mean, I said to you half jokingly, but honestly, I mean, why not? Celta should buy him back. I mean, he could do worse, right? I, I don't get the impression that he's particularly keen on that. And I'm sure Celta, aren't, that's not where they're directing their money because they've got other things that are more important. But it would have been nice for a, a little reunion there to take place. We'll, we'll see. I don't know. I, I, maybe he'll stay there. And I know that he has the ambition of like finishing his career back at Brandby uh, in Denmark. And I don't think he wants to do that anytime soon. But I really I really feel like he could have a couple more years at a really good club, at a top-level club. And mm, I don't know. Consider your options, Daniel, is my advice. I, I, I'm not going to bother going back in the archives to play a game of I told you so, but I feel like everything that we said when Barca decided to the best option was to sack Ernesto Valverde and bring in Kike Setien midway through the season was a bad thing and that there would potentially be a, a lot of huge risks that could become huge problems for them if they did this. And lo and behold, uh, it seems that it's coming to pass. Yes, as you see here on Bombasso, we would tell you the truth and then it becomes <laughs> reality. No, sometimes we're just really lucky. But I think it's uh, it was quite obvious, uh, at least for for those who actually watched Kikisitien's uh, Betis, that he wasn't really ready for, for a job like Barca. And especially not environment that is at uh, Barcelona these days, I think. Yeah, I mean, especially not in the middle of the season and when there's like a a huge kind of a, a number of like structural issues that needed resolved where he wasn't going to have the chance to bring in a whole draft of new players to solve those issues it just felt like a a risky move at an unnecessarily risky time and i do wonder i, I don't want to like hammer this home too much because i know we've said it a hundred times but all you people who tore ernesto valverde apart and who constantly criticized them for not being up to the job constantly criticized them for not having the spine to make the changes that you felt were right doesn't look so good now in hindsight does it because and maybe maybe he was a realist who did the best with what he had to work with maybe that's what reality was to to say something that goes both with betis where kike Setien were before and with barcelona the problem is not the coach in neither of those clubs and it the, I mean, the coach will make a difference in one way or another, but that will never change the long-term uh, problems that both of those clubs are currently going through. That is way deeper and that is what really needs solving and it's uh, in the boardroom and it's not on the coaching bench. And I think it's simple as that. Well, uh, if you want another example of uh, problems or at least uh, questionable decision-making at Barcelona, then one that I would mention is that they've just... well. Uh, I would say they've just sold Marco Correa to Getafe, but I think it was inevitable for quite a long time that Getafe were going to exercise their option and buy Marco Correa for a paltry sum of 10 million euros, which, trust me when I say it right now, is going to be a fraction of the price that Getafe will sell him for. For me, this season, he's only better than he was last year. He's incredibly young, still in his early 20s. He's incredibly versatile. He's improving as a player. He is more than capable of playing at a higher level than he already is at. And from what I've read from reliable people, there are already a number of big clubs who have been looking at him. Clubs in England, and um, clubs in Spain have previously looked at him. I think Atletico Madrid have had an eye on him for a while. He's been compared by some people to David Alaba, which is maybe a bit excessive, but he is that versatile. Got a hell of a player on your hands, so at least I think at least I think deserves a chance. And that's the thing that blows my mind about Cucurea is he's never been given a chance at Barcelona and I can find no justifiable cause for why. I've said this, I was saying to you off air, like I'm sure this is the kind of player that in the future they're going to end up spending a lot of money to buy back unnecessarily. 
when they could have had him for well not free at this stage but next to nothing I mean how do you feel about it are you do you understand why they let him go so easily well I would more or less say congratulations to Marco Correa because I don't think Barcelona is a place you want to be at the moment I think it's quite toxic uh, the way Barca is right now and I think it's uh, what explains why they're letting him go um, is probably the same thing that explains why they are doing the swap with Juventus, with uh, Arthur and Pjanic. And all it comes down to is the books. Um, It's that Barcelona are not at the budget that they were supposed to. They have not uh, hold their budget for this season. They are way, way back. And instead of looking at what they probably should be focusing on, which is the long-term situation of the club and which players that Barca should be keeping, uh, they're looking at how can we get fast bucks, even if it's just a little, but to to make up the books. Um, And it just comes back to what we've been talking about before, what are the problems at Barcelona, and it's the people upstairs. They they have no clue what they're doing and they're focusing on the wrong things over and over again. Um, and it, for, for me, it's not strange that players like uh, like Messi and, and the veterans are not giving a new coach per, perhaps the chances they should be given because they're just frustrated because they've been going through this for so long now that I think it's so much frustration in a lot of those players as well. Yeah, it's fatigue, I guess, as well. That's it, isn't it? It's like, I mean, said wrote a really good piece about this uh, today I think or yesterday just kind of summing up the Barcelona situation for which I think if we sometimes forget because we we're in this and we're sort of knee deep in it and we're always following it if you're a sort of casual observer from the outside and you look at what's happened in 10 years from where from where Barcelona were at this time in 2010 to where Barcelona are at this time in 2020 it's almost unthinkable because at the time they, they seem to be perhaps the best place club for future development to continue following the the road that they're already going down um and obviously like you know you can't no one has a, a crystal ball and they can predict what's going to happen but it does feel pretty damning that the it looks like if not systematic dismantling of it which i, I can't accuse anyone of systematic incompetence that's just been allowed for way too long and uh, it could be a long road back to to get anywhere near where they were before and I, i'm not sure right now that the right people are around to do that but yeah I'm, I'm i think though that as you say if you look at it from from the outside it, it looks insane but for those who've been following Barcelona closely, um, it's not really surprising what has been happening. Because I think already when Rossell became the president in 2010, it was just in the first few weeks, more or less, it was kind of uh, spe- kind of clear what was going to, to happen, more or less, because he made it very clear from the start that he wanted to change everything because he wanted to put his stamp on it. And then everything happened with the Neymar business and... And then Bartomeu took over and, and so on. But he was still uh, a part of, of Roussel's men. And it's just been going from there. So it's, the things that, that it's such a big change from 2010 to 2020, um, from those who actually been following what happened in the club, is no surprise at all. Uh, and that's, I think, is one of the most frustrating parts because you've been seeing this is going to happen. It's not like, oh, shit, how did that happen? It's been so foreseeable and still it's been able to happen. Uh, and it, it's really sad because the, the club was in such a good situation. And as you said, it was pr- probably the perfect best club to go for development and everything. And 
something that had been built up for so, so many years had just been crushed very, very quickly. And now it's in a situation where it's going to take a long, long time for, for Barcelona to rebuild. But but they do have elections next year. So that might be uh, the first step to, to try to change. Yeah, because at least if you acknowledge that so many good years of Lionel Messi's peak have been wasted really on bad management then you know it could be worse at least maybe next year they'll have a chance to to make use and he'll have a chance to make use of those last few years but anyway that's another podcast for another time i think we could do an entire series on how things have gone wrong at that club um a couple of small pieces of business to before we wrap up the one is that john Gudetti is a la liga player again i guess technically because uh he is his loan spell at Hanover is over. I think I've not been following him, but from what I understand, it's went quite well for him. He did all right there and seemed to go on well, but they just couldn't meet the financial demands that Alaves have, which brings us back to the same story with Gadetti that we've been thinking about for over a year now, which is that Alaves probably overpaid, committed themselves too much financially, and now are overexpecting uh, what they can demand other people pay to get John uh, for and. I don't know. Maybe you know better than me, but I, I hope that I hope he can find a good situation for for next season because sitting around and not playing and not even being in matchday squads is not what he needs and not really what he deserves either. So fingers crossed. No, definitely. I think that John is not a bad player, but um, as you say, that sometimes expectations have been too high, and then he's a player that performs really, really well the first six months in every club he goes to. Um, and that uh, makes expectations even higher. Um, and I think he, one of his problems is probably just how hyped he was when he was younger. Um, and then that he never really managed to live up to that. Um, and people kind of forget everything that he's gone through in between that, where he almost uh, couldn't continue playing football at one point um, and, and things like that. So, But uh, it's a great guy and really hope that, that the situation gets solved. But I to be honest, I don't see him playing in Spain anymore. Um, which is a shame because of how much he loves Spain as well. So we, we, once upon a time, that would have been his absolute goal to continue there. Um, speaking of another guy who's not going to be playing for a while, I guess we should finally wrap up on, which is a real shame. Another sort of dampener really on the season is Martin Erdegaard has some genuine injury issues now, right? Which means we, we aren't going to see him this season by the looks of things. No, he's uh, apparently had some injury problems. It's a knee injury problem. Um, I'm not so so. Uh, I'm not a medical expert, so I can't give You're you. You're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor, uh, but apparently he's been having trouble since like, October, um, which we didn't know about while he's been playing, and apparently it got worse uh, during this pause and this break. Um, and I think we've actually we we've been talking about how he's not been the same level. As before, and we started talking about that a little bit already before the break. That it, he's still good, but it's not the Martin Odegaard we saw at the first start of the season, and this might explain that in 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 bits. And uh, apparently, he had uh, got a lot more troubles against Real Madrid, and then against Salta, he was uh, ha- having real discomfort. And now they're going to Barcelona to try to find some treatments and, and things like that. But apparently, according to the Real Sociedad uh, medical, actually medical expert, <laughs> which I am not. Uh, it's, uh, it's an injury that you can't 100% treat. So it's not like a clear treatment to it, which is a bit worrying, I will have to say. So we'll have you to wait and see what happens with it. But hopefully he can, they, they are trying to, to find a way to, to not have him do an operation on it. 
let's hope that he can because i mean there's some kind of these repetitive injuries that can be managed if they're managed the right way for a bunch of different things then even without treatment you can still continue to perform really well at a high level so we wish him all the best because he's brought us a lot of joy this season and we definitely want to see more of him at real sociedad next year hopefully so yes uh i guess that's all for today any yep. final points i think we covered the most uh alexander isaac did start the last game. He's not starting the game that is uh, starting right about now when we have to uh, stop this podcast so we can watch it. Exactly. And actually, yeah, I'm going to have one eye on that and I'm going to have one eye on Hammer B, who no one cares about. But interesting piece of trivia. There's a 17-year-old starting for Hammer B tonight whose name is Aymar. And he was named after the great Aymar of Valencia fame. So there's a Spanish football connection for you. There you go. And I have one last thing. We, we talked about how hard it is supporting Valencia. There is another club it's very hard supporting at the moment. That's Real Oviedo. And I'm going to give you an example just to, to show how that is. So Real Oviedo won yesterday, 1-0. And their official club account posted who was the player of the match question on Twitter. The responses were, my heart for not having a heart attack. The hearts of Oviedo fans for now being in the throat. It was my life for not having died, even though you're trying to kill me every three days. Um, it was my lucky coin. And th- that was basically responses. It was no players, just different that, in, in that way. So that, that's how it is supporting Real Oviedo. So they also have, uh, we also have a bit of uh, hardship. To be honest. You've just reminded me actually that when we, because the last time we spoke, we mentioned that Oviedo had won and I mentioned that Girona had finally won. If you want an, an, an idea of how great our predictions are, because earlier in the show we were talking about how brilliant they were, since then <laughs> Girona have sacked their coach and changed manager. So, on that <laughs> excellent note of me not being able to read anything that's crystal clear, uh, I'll bid you adieu, Alexandra Johnson. And well, the next time we see you next week, probably everything that was said in this episode will no longer be applicable yeah. and be completely wrong. Everything so will have changed. Your fingers. <laughs> All right. Let's say adios then. Adios.